Um, hi, everyone. Good evening, and welcome to the City Club at the Happy Dog as a continuation of our best book series. Um, uh, happy also Ohio primary, um, Cavs playoffs, and uh, Indians baseball season. We have a lot of stuff going on around town, so we're really grateful for all of you who are able to make it out tonight. And as always, thankful to Sean and Drew and the rest of the Happy Dog team for always supporting us and letting us come here and talk about really whatever we want to talk about. Uh, so on that note, we'll be talking books today, um, health and wellness. So before, you know, images of avocado toast and people doing yoga kind of pop into your head, uh, we'll be really expanding our definition of health, wellness, uh, the journeys that we take to get to what we define as health and wellness and maybe the vices or the pitfalls that we uh, dive into along the way. So to help talk about books and literature and health and wellness, uh, let me introduce our panelists. So right next to me, we have Danielle French, uh, who is new to our, our group here. She is a doctoral candidate in the English department at Kent State. So welcome to Danielle. Thanks. <laughs> uh, right next, we have Valentino Zulo who uh, is a maternal depression therapist and teaches at Kent and is also our resident comics expert here on the panel. <laughs> so welcome back to Valentino. And we have Cal wrapping up our panel, who uh, is a librarian and uh, from the Notable Books Council of the American Library Association. So welcome to Cal as well. So my first question for all of you, uh, like I said, health and wellness paints a picture in all of our heads. Some of it um, is from those perfectly curated Instagrams. Some of it's from, you know, maybe things that we grew up thinking about. Um, when we first in our email said, let's do health and wellness, what first came into your minds um, and how is that translated into some of your book choices? You don't have to talk about all your books, but just maybe one or two. Sure. Um, hi, everybody. Cal Zunt. Um, one of the things that actually came to my mind, um, because I probably with my ongoing struggles with weight and keeping an exercise routine, was more of the darker twistedness of health and wellness. Um, there have been, uh, there are a number of actually kind of fun books uh, that Riley look at um, Americans' fascination with health and wellness or historical trends um, uh, that kind of epitomize our ongoing fascination. Um, one, uh, so a couple of the books I'm just going to uh, talk or present today, one is a great, great fun fiction story called The Road to Wellness um, by T.C. Boyle. And it's a fictionalized account of um, Dr. Kellogg of the uh, Kellogg's um, uh, Cereal Flakes notoriety, who actually had a health and wellness spa in Battle Creek, Michigan in uh, the turn of the 20th century. So um, his activities um, included uh, proselytizing on a vegetarian diet, but also included five enemas a day at his uh, wonderful health spa. Um, but this is rather a comic uh, look at uh, uh, the attempts we go to for uh, health and wellness and what happens when American uh, commercialization kicks in. Uh, the other one I have, which is by just a really inventive writer, uh, is a Drop Dead Healthy by A.J. Jacobs. Um, A.J. Jacobs uh, became known when his with his first book called The Encyclopedist, which uh, in which he read the Encyclopedia Britannica in its entirety in one year. So he takes yeah. these very fun. Um, uh, rather wry looks uh, at uh, health and wellness, and that's another one that I can um, uh, that I can encourage you to read. So I'm going to pass that on now to my friend Valentino. All right. So um, immediate. Well, I I have to address five enemas a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not recommended. Not I mean, <laughs> I, I just like, I, I, I was, I was shook, you know, you know I was, I was, why? Right. There's, All right. There's so no um, it, it has completely upended whatever my thoughts were. Okay. So, but let me think of, if I can go back to where, yeah. I, where I was a, a month before I learned that. <laughs> um, so 
being a, I'm a I'm a therapist as well as an English teacher, and so immediately, and my focus is comics, so I didn't even think about novels. I was like, I, that's not even an option for me to talk about here. <laughs> so um, I was thinking. I was, at first, I thought, oh, okay, I'll just do a bunch of stuff on mental health. I ended up not though, which is funny. I was thinking about it. All of my books are about physical health, um, but for but in inevitably they are about mental health as well. But some of the ones I thought of immediately was one of them was this book called Taking Turns by M. K. Sherwick. Sherwick, I don't know. It's um, C. Z. I. E. R. W. I. C. Z. I don't know how to say her last name, but she's a a nurse that took the took time to draw her experience in an HIV/AIDS unit. Um, around the late 1980s, early 1990s in Chicago. And so she depicts her time like learning what it's like to be in a community that she knows nothing about and what it's like treating people that are, that are being infected and dying of AIDS at a time when we did not have a way to um, help people live with the, with the disease. And so inevitably, though, it's also about mental health, even though it is about this physical illness. And it's about you know, family relationships and a lot of individuals that are being disowned and how they have to create these new families in these units, even though they're temporary. And they know they're temporary, but they're creating these new families. And it's, an, it's a fascinating book. Um, as a practitioner myself, not of not in a medical unit, but just thinking about like how did I learn how to treat or work with illness, and it's wonderful. I mean, she's like learning as she goes, and it's such a powerful story. Um, another one I uh, I offer, and we'll talk about this more, um, is Sina Grace's um, "Nothing Lasts Forever." He's a um, queer Persian a queer Persian artist that depicts his own illness and his journaling of his illness, so in, again, in dealing with his own internal self and his experience with illness, and he's, he has this th throat, he has this problem with his throat that his throat is closing up. It's a, it's a disease that the doctors didn't really know how to identify, but his throat is closing up, and him dealing with this and um, ha ha how they help him work through this. But they're fascinating because immediately I thought, oh, of course I'll do mental health, but I ended up looking at physical health, but the impacts it does have on mental health, in whether it be communal in this um, taking turns, or if it's in Sina's personal like journaling of having an illness and what that was like, you know, living with with illness and journaling that. So I'll I'll um, I'm, I'll talk more, I'm sure, but I'll <laughs> I'll give it to Danielle. <laughs> so I work with trauma memoir. So the first thing that I thought of when Valentino asked me to join this panel was, of course, memoir. I'm interested in how people make it through things in life. And so what do you do when health and wellness are out of reach, potentially forever? Um, so the first book that I thought of, um, and kind of taking from Valentino's perspective on the physical, I'm looking at how the physical impacts the um, psychological and emotional um, aspects of, of being healthy or being ill and coming to terms with that um, in various different injuries, illnesses, or what happens when you are a carer for elderly parents who don't want to confront the reality of dying and death and just eschew those conversations that are actually really necessary. So the first book that I chose is Hunger by Roxane Gay. came out last summer. It's fantastic. Um, and she goes through what it's like to um, be to have struggles that her family doesn't understand or address, um, specifically with her, um, her eating habits. It's called hunger for a reason. She becomes morbidly obese. And going from being a, an all-star student um, and then dealing with a horrific gang rape and then working as a sex worker and then going to... Uh, an Ivy and studying and then becoming a professor and now a, a famous uh, author and activist and kind of engaging in the nitty gritty. A lot of, I teach at Kent State as well and um, a lot of students want to shy away from the trauma and they don't want to discuss the tough stuff. Um, but that's what these memoirs do and all the books that we're talking about today really engage in what health and wellness means, what happens when it's out of reach, and what happens when we go down different paths, um, like with vice, with um, different illnesses and issues, um, when people feel hopeless or devastated, and rightly so, and how do you cope and 
move on in those times. Um, the only other book that I'll talk about right now is The Bright Hour. Um, I'm not sure if, has anybody read um, When Breath Becomes Air? Yeah, um, really famous. It was a physician who found out that he was dying and wrote this book, and he did pass away. And Nina Riggs wrote this, and she was diagnosed as a mother of two, 37 years old, and uh, they thought that it was treatable, and it turned out that it wasn't. She was a wonderful poet, and she wound up writing about her experience and what it's like to have terminal illness and to not be ready, but getting um, to a place of acceptance and still having hope and leaving a legacy. Um, and it's a really positive book, surprisingly, The Bright Hour. So I, I highly recommend it, um, especially when those, those other things that can get really dark and scary and we don't want to talk about, there are other ways of framing those scary things where you can still engage and discuss the hard stuff um, and face it, but in a way that's a bit more positive. Um, so I also do want to say I'm not the only one asking questions today. We will keep going for about 15 more minutes, um, and then we invite the audience to ask uh, questions. You'll just line up right here by the mic um, and ask Q&A of your own. Um, but so going along with that, um, Danielle, since you brought a lot of memoirs, I wanted to ask you, um, can writing a memoir heal? And if not, then why do people write? Or who are these memoirs for? Sure. Um, so I don't think that just writing an, a book is going to heal any underlying trauma or a lack of a sense of self. Without getting into a bunch of theory, I just don't think that that is um, possible. Perhaps it does happen and writing can be cathartic for some authors, but especially in the case of memoir, what I've been reading and seeing in my interactions with memoirists who discuss these incredibly personal and really tough subjects about loss, about illness, about vices, and being very open with a reading public, um, it's, it's for anyone who wants to know what it's like, who maybe can sympathize or even empathize with them. It's a means of, of understanding another person, another person's experience. And perhaps you can gain some, some support. Uh, Dave Eggers, who wrote a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius that came out in 2001, a uh, very lengthy book, but he talks about this lattice, that, this coming together, it's like building a community of readership. And that support is, I think, why a lot of writers publish their work, especially incredibly personal, um, deep experiences and thoughts, emotions, and things like that. I think it's to get support and building a kind of community where it's, Mary Carr calls it the, the gem, uh, the shiniest of gems, which is readers who get it. So even if they can't understand what it's like to be actually dying of cancer or to have sustained a, a horrific attack and have um, mental illness. There's actually um, a follow-up to this in Medium um, where she discusses, uh, it's called uh, What Fullness Is, where she talks about actually getting a gastric sleeve that actually happened in January. So this is all very recent and she's very open. You can tweet her <laughs> and talk to her about these kinds of things. It's, it's this open exchange, so it's for everyone. And have either of you, I mean, you all work in very people-facing jobs, in libraries, as a therapist, as, a t as teachers. Have you seen people coming to you looking for that network in books, or is it more of an insular process? Um, I guess I have, um, I have a couple answers. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the things that I noticed, um, I guess I want to go back to this, like what, if it's healing or not. Mm -hmm. And I... You know, going in, going in as I work as a maternal depression therapist. I I didn't choose that. I got asked to do that. I didn't know. I didn't know that that's what I would be doing. But I I I, I trained as a social worker and then ended up as a maternal depression therapist. And of course, I was like, oh yeah, we'll do all this healing work. And I I don't know that that happens. Even though we're telling stories that are verbal, I've noticed like, you know, we're not healing so much as we're just you know gaining insight and thinking through and. And reliving sometimes, but just thinking about like why this will always affect you. And living with that, it helps you to live with it. Um, and then I think that what often happens is 
that you know it you do look for other people in these communities that can share similar experiences um, and then and that does that does help and I think that is sometimes more healing um, I can say that um, with I mentioned um, Cena Grace's nothing lasts forever and um, I have just a personal funny story when I was talking to him he's also Persian and I'm per he's half Persian I'm half Persian both of our mothers lived through the revolution in Iran and I remember talking to him and I, I like mentioned I, I was like oh we're like the same age right and he's like he's like well I'm 31 and I was like well I'll be 30 this year and so I mean un it was an unconscious wish but I was like oh we're like the same right like there was that sense of like oh you know you wrote this and we're like the same person even though I've never lived through that illness. There was this, like, reading it, I wanted to participate in a community with him. And, I, and, and that was more interesting and healing and, and mm -hmm. in, insight gaining for me was when, it was when I was like, oh, I really want this community. Now, mine was not of illness, but of wanting to know other Persian people, because I, I, I don't really, especially in Cleveland. But I mean, I think that the, the role of community can, cannot be diminished, especially in healing with these stories that are told. So, so you just mentioned, um, sorry, Cal, if you want to address it as well, I just wanted to point something out. You said that um, when you're talking about it, you're um, not really healing, but you're gaining insight, you're living with it. So it almost, my question now for this is, when we talk about, when we share these stories, are we healing or are we just normalizing it or are those the same? Oh. Well, I, I think um, my experience as a public librarian um, is that uh, memoirs do really create a difference. And I think one of the things that may be a little beyond our conversation uh, tonight, but I wanted to put in there is, um, you know, memoir uh, and the telling of our stories together, you know, there's uh, a difference between having that conversation with someone who's a family member very close to you and talking about very difficult things and then the pro and then uh, the process of actually creating a work of art if you will whether that's writing you know a complete uh, telling of your story you know from a particular viewpoint what have you um, both from the scope of a memoir to um, uh, graphic novels telling, you know, their stories and nonfiction works to, um, uh, you know, there's there's a twist in making that a piece of, of art and something that goes beyond the writer, um, you know, and, and it can be argued, you know, that the reader interprets that work how they need it interpreted and, and how... Uh, how much it affects them, um, and so I, I think that that also kind of just plays as kind of an undercurrent for these works, um, in both from the writer's standpoint in telling their stories and the need to tell their stories uh, in a much more formal fashion than just telling a friend, uh, and um, you know, creating something that's beyond them and which they have no control over once it goes out in the world. Um, but my experience is that, uh, is that reading about things really does matter. It, does, it, it changes you. Um, it does change you, and it does change the reader. So, Cal, going along with that, um, when we first brought up health and wellness, you kind of immediately turned to books on vices, right. um, which we talked about, and I think vices probably change um, a person. So what to you made you think, ah, health, wellness, Well, vice. I, I initially, <laughs> and, and I initially thought of, which is very twisted for health and wellness, was um, Hunter S. Thompson's um, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is not a health and wellness book at all. <laughs> it's this very wrecked, um, lost week, if you will, of Hunter S. Thompson flying on all these illicit drugs with his attorney, and they're attending a sheriff's convention in Las Vegas, and um, which tells you more about my twisted humor than anything. <laughs> um, but what I was, what brought me there was that this whole, ex um, this whole experience and our striving for health is. Uh, 
the searching for balance, and I kind of flip that over to people who are alcoholics and addicts, that it could be argued that, that the use of vices in their excess is you know, another way of trying to be healthy and balanced. Of course, it's in a very, uh, in a very uh, wrong kind of way. Um, but I was, when I was getting ready for this, and I uh, got Road to Wellness. Uh, he starts. Um, T. C. Boyle starts with this great quote, which is from um, Sylvester Graham from a lecture on epidemic diseases, and he says, "Life is a temporary victory." over which the cause, uh, sorry, life is a temporary victory over the causes which induce death. So um, this temporary victory over the causes which induce death, I thought could be argued, you know, that's as well for someone who says, oh, I'm going to be a vegetarian and run 60 miles a day, as someone who says, you know, to heck with it, and I'm, I'm going to be uh, completely annihilated at a sheriff's convention. So, um, uh, so uh, and then I was very happy to find that um, there's someone out there thinking the way I'm thinking. Uh, this book just came out by Edward um, Rosenfeld, and it's called The Book of Highs, 255 Ways to, expand, to Alter Your Consciousness Without Drugs. So um, this is a, a helpful hint book, and um, uh, it says, uh, let's see, uh, voluntary social withdrawal. So there we go. Um, and you could also go to a commune. So, um, you know, it could be argued that, you know, there are lots of ways to uh, attain that health and wellness balance in your life. Um, speaking of uh, vices and health and wellness, if you still want to get another beer or a hot dog, uh, please feel free to. Um, and we will, if you have any questions, start thinking about them, start lining up. We'll be asking one more question, and then uh, the mics turn over to you all. Um, so, Danielle, I mean, you talked about Hunger. That's obviously mm -hmm. a book that has a lot of, you know, the darker side. And I wouldn't say that, or I would say that uh, Valentino appears that your books also... Um, deal with that. So how do your books touch on vices and maybe not in a humorous way, maybe so, how, but how do they touch on vice as a part of wellness? Um, well, mine aren't necessarily, they acknowledge that vices exist and that there are negative coping mechanisms or failed coping mechanisms, I guess, um, like overeating um, in an attempt to make you undesirable so that bad things won't mm -hmm. physically happen to you, even though that impacts your your physical well-being and your psychological well-being, your emotional well-being, because your family is constantly monitoring and policing your body um, out of con concern, genuine concern. Um, so I guess there's some acknowledgement of vice and acknowledgements of shortcomings. Um, like uh, there's some... <sighs> Rye humor, Roz Chass, uh, can't we talk about something more pleasant? And her discussion of dealing with her parents who really did not want to discuss dying at all um, and having to kind of force those kinds of conversations and then dealing with the loss of elderly parents after caring for them. Um, Howard Axelrod moves off grid uh, after having a, an injury in the dorm rooms and he can't cope. He's still the same person, but after this basketball injury, he lost an eye, and so he can't, he's not the same person anymore. Even though people are still treating him the same, um, he kind of just vanishes, and he, it's, this memoir is about him going to Vermont backwoods and living as kind of a hermit and trying to figure out his, his journey in solitude. So it's kind of a turning away from vices uh, in mine. Um, I'm reminded of Cheryl Strait's Wild, mm -hmm. which she acknowledges the vices that kind of drove her, uh, an unhappy marriage, uh, drinking issues, not knowing where she's going, having no address or anything like that, um, the death of her mother, and she goes on this journey of solitude. Um, and so mine are kind of a, an acknowledgement of the vice and the bad things, but um, I move away from it in the narrative arc of the stories. Yeah, and I think um, one of the books that I'll share that I do think deals with this issue of vice and control um, 
Mishadra, which is by um, Yasmin Omar Atta. He's a Arab American author, and he he details his like his his life with epilepsy. He draws these like incredible images of like what it's like to live live with epilepsy and like what it's like to ha to um, experience it. Like what something we'll never know. What it's like to, f to experience epilepsy, and. Um, he also details, though, what it's like to have to take these pills that he doesn't want to take and how he wants to be able to control his epilepsy, even though he can't and he, has to, he does have to take this medicine, and how he doesn't take it and he sometimes takes it too late and then it, it's worthless at that point. Um, and so there is, it, it, it's a fascinating book, uh, like detailing that. Of course, as we're thinking about comics, to bring up a book that I, I, I didn't bring up, but we could talk about any superhero comic, really. I mean, at the core of all superhero stories is this trauma. And there's, I mean, the trauma of the, the hero and their, in, and their sublimation throughout. Um, I think there was a funny New Yorker cartoon earlier this year with Batman. He was like looking out the window and he was like, Dear Diary, I don't think I ever, I, I don't think I ever dealt with the death of my parents. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I think that they kind of minimize it, I mean, or, or just trivialize it because uh, th there's an obvious, like, I mean, they're trying to be funny, but there's an obvious power to superhero comics. They show us this world where you don't ever overcome, but you are able to sublimate continually in positive ways. And then, obviously, the villain's, the villain's narrative would be an inability to sublimate if we're going to follow that. But uh, while I like the New Yorker cartoon, I also think, like, you know, there is a reason we turn to them because they are about living with trauma. And every superhero has a different traumatic experience. Very few other than, like, say, Wonder Woman, though the, arguably, the entrance of, of man into her world in, uh, is, is a trauma in itself when Steve <laughs> Trevor lands on the mascara. So that, and we can talk about the entrance <laughs> into sexuality, which is a trauma. So I guess they all have some type of trauma. <laughs> but I mean, our next topic. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that is so, I mean, the comics are, are, are about exploring trauma and I think that, and, and about vice and how do we deal with that and how do we not end up, you know, mm -hmm. becoming supervillains. <laughs> Yeah. So I, what I also love about these talks is um, bringing in that visual element, yeah. that Valentina that you bring in, um, with your knowledge of comics and things like that. And something that is, I think, very particular to wellness is the visual element. Yes. Which is something we talked about. I said, you know, bring out or push away images of avocado and yeah. people doing yoga. And that's to me, and you know, whitewashed brick walls. That to me is health and wellness. Yeah. Um, so I really want to dive into this topic, but first off, um, how do you think Valentino um, is illness perhaps portrayed differently and what impact does that have on the reader by having it in a visual way mm -hmm. versus um, for the other two having it um, very internal, internally based, I guess. Or. Um, what is interesting in comics is that ability to depict what it's like to live live in a in a to exist in a body that is experiencing illness, and that is often what you get to see in these comics. Is like, what's it like to be a body that experiences illness that lives in lives daily? Because in prose fiction or or nonfiction, I mean, it is still we're forced to, we're not forced, but I mean, we're always think we're, we're imagining what it's like. And a lot of these comics do open us up to really contending with human bodies that are ill. You know, bodies that are, um, you know, um, I don't know, um, infected. Bodies that are, that are suffering. And in ways that I think that the prose fiction doesn't always get to, it doesn't mean that it's any less. I mean, prose fiction does many things that, that comics can't. But I mean, there is this really, there's this real focus on human bodies that are suffering and, are, and, are, and we have to see them. We have to see that there, that there are these, these bodies. And I think that's, so much, that's so, it's what's so interesting. Um, so a lot of them do get into the internal, though, too. Like I was saying, this book, Mishadra, um, it does get into the internal in, in in fantastic ways, like this way of like depicting like what's it like from the inside experiencing this. I guess it's still external in a way because he's showing us through his eyes, but epilepsy is a very internal external experience at the same time. So it it is really wonderful in that way that we have to see this body 
over and over and over. Because I mean, in a not in a, in nonfiction prose, like you you hear about the body and you might hear of depictions of it, but I mean, you're um, forced to look at it nine times on a page. You're forced to look at an illness, you know, nine, ten, you know, fifteen times on a single page, and that is really powerful. For um, Cal or Danielle, you know, what, what was it like reading these books and then maybe flipping to the back and seeing a picture of the author, of the, per of the person who wrote the memoir, or, you know, looking them up? Where, was there a disconnect? Did it match what you imagined? You know, what was that experience like with the books you're reading? I think for mine, they were what I imagined. Um, but I, I like that description that, that you had because I think we all do that too. We want to we see who that author is. Yeah. I cheat and <laughs> I look them up beforehand. So um, for me, I study a lot of contemporary authors and so they're active on social media. And so I'm able to engage with them on Facebook or Instagram or things like that and see what they're doing, where they're going. Um, and even sometimes they'll sneak little peeks, like I wrote this article um, today, or this mm. is coming out next week, or you know, get the come to this book signing. It's a secret one, and so um, there's that, I guess, accessibility there, um, and that's kind of interesting because uh, with the the, gra the comics form in that graphic medium, you can see bodies, and it's difficult to see bodies who are, that are suffering, right? Or depictions of trauma. But then again, sometimes you still have to imagine. I'm thinking of Alison Bechtel uh, and her fun home, a family tragic comic where her father, supposedly he dies by being hit by a sunbeam bread truck uh, right in front of their house. And you are depicting, you just see him and then you see the truck coming down the road and then the frame, the next, um, Panel, that's it. Thank you. Uh, the next panel moves to just the truck driver's expression. There are traumas that you can't depict that have no no images, no words. And so you're still trying to get the, the gist of a certain experience that isn't translatable through a visual, a verbal rhetoric, and it's just an emotional kind of context. Um, so uh, there's a lot of, I don't know, a desire to know the, I guess, the real author, because the author we see depicted mm -hmm. in the, the panels or in the prose isn't necessarily the author. It's a, a crafted um, narrative. It's, it's the, their control, their narrative control over what's happened in their life. They're, they're making this an arc. So they're shaping story there. So that's not necessarily them per se, but they're letting them, they're letting the audience know them intimately and telling them details that they said that they may have never told their family members. Going back to what Cal was saying, how many times have you not wanted to tell your parents about something that happened, like an accident or, oh, I broke my ankle. I don't want to tell mom because she'll freak out, but I'm going to call my best friend. Yeah. Or it's easier to tell the person in the waiting room yeah. about this, this horrible thing that yeah. just happened because they're there with you. They're experiencing this with you. Um, and so I think that these texts, whether prose or, or comics form, they, they do allow for different experiences of of trauma, of, of wellness, and different versions of what, what wellness or health is, and what is possible given your body and your experience. I want to um, just jump in there really quick. I think um, Sina, I talked to Sina about Nothing Lasts Forever, and one of the things that he said to me when I was talking to him about it was he said, um, I gave this to my friends that I never, not his best friends, but I gave this to my friends and my family members that I didn't tell. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's like, I said, he was like, here, read this. I don't want to talk about it. You just reminded me of that. But yeah, he yeah. said, he's like, you know, it was easier for me to do this and then just give it to them and say, okay, go away for like three <laughs> hours, go read that. And then we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> now you know everything you yeah. need now to you know, know yeah. and it's done. Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny because I remember anything hard that I've had to tell my mom, I've written her note uh -huh. and I've like slid it on her pillow and then was like, I'm going to sleep over at my friend's house. <laughs> and then hope she didn't bring it up to my mom. So, of course, she brings it up. But it's, that's the power of you know, yeah. the written word, yeah. right? Um, I do want to remind you all questions if you have a question. Um, we get all types of questions here at the Happy Dog. It can be 
what's your favorite of the books that you brought? You know, really want to open it up to yeah. you all. Two um, of us are teachers up here. You shouldn't, like, wait for us yeah. to call on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to keep talking, though, so we don't have dead air. But really want to mm. encourage you to ask questions. Um, so continuing on this kind of um, talking about the visual aspect of wellness and um, what we see kind of on the internet as well. Um, we talked about this when we were prepping for this conversation about the curated side of wellness. Mm -hmm. And I keep bringing it up because I think it's really pertinent in our lives. Um, but I also want to talk about that curated side of wellness in books. And I know at my house, I have this beautiful vegan cookbook. I'm not vegan, but it's gorgeous. And it's all these, you know, brightly lit quinoa bowls. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And, um, you know, there is a rise in health and wellness books. Um, and why are people, why do you think people are going, gravitating towards those books? Maybe it's more like how-to books. Why do you think people are moving towards those? Well, I think a lot of it, um, I mean, this this topic, um, I think, has a lot to do with um, um, certainly other cultures have interests, of course, in health and wellness, but I think that um, it could be argued it's also uh, that our particular brand of it in America, you know, is very reflective in our mythology of who it means to be an American. You know, you're... you're a self-sufficient, hearty soul that, um, and this, you know, this whole looking of um, that we're doing great, you know, I, and and subsuming kind of the darker sides. So you want a beautiful house. You want, you know, you want to go to yoga several times a week, and you want to go to boxing, and you know, go to the spa and look all, you know, buff and beautiful. Um, but, you know, what is that hiding also? Um, but I think, I, I think it has a lot to do with our self-identity. Um, just to throw out an academic book really quick that's actually very interesting. Um, Anne Juricic, J-U-R-E-C-I-C, has a book called Illness as Narrative. And one of the things that she thinks about is how we live in a period that, is, that everything is quantified. Um, you know, we all, we regularly list off statistics like what I think it's like what one in three people will get cancer or some whatever it is. You know, we regular we know statistics like what it is like. Oh, you know, this is what you, this is a statistic for like what you're likely to get cancer if you smoke or if you don't smoke or whatever it might be that you might know. And she said with the rise of quantitative data, especially in terms of illness, she correlates it to this rise in memoir about illness because as as stories of illness have left the medical field, they've kind of flourished in the literary field, which I think is a fascinating idea. And so th I don't think that's the answer, but I think that is one answer, because the fact is that we all, we all so many of us know, like, um, this data about illness, like, oh, that we're likely to get this, or, you know, we think, we think different things about, um, we, we use data so much that oh, it sometimes becomes meaningless, but we know it at some level. But it is interesting that it, that it then the stories that get taken out, that get extracted from that data, would then flourish in a, outside of the medical field. My answers are a little darker. <laughs> um, firstly, I think a main motivator is marketing. Um, no, Goop would not be successful if Gwyneth Paltrow did not have a following. And um, trying to be Joanna Gaines, now you can purchase all of her stuff at Target and you can be Chip and Joanna um, on this like perfect HTTP set and she's thin and beautiful and their marriage is happy and they have gorgeous kids and like 400 animals that are all happy and healthy and this flourishing business, business is. And you too can maintain this. So I think it's, um, I guess for the aesthetics or the, I guess, hashtag goals, <laughs> um, kind of kind of life of, of marketing, why wellness is important, but also I think it's a um, kind of piggybacking off what Cal was saying about identity. Um, so many Americans specifically have healthcare crises and knowing that one trip to the ER can knock out your benefits for the entire year is, is you know, 
flabbergasting. Um, and that's, that's let alone. That's just for one simple accident. That's for one bout of chest pain. That's not a traumatic incident. I mean, and that's if you have the coverage. Um, so these... Um, these wellness narratives are kind of, I think, giving people a sense of agency. And like, here's what you can do to protect yourself. Here's how I have maintained this healthy lifestyle um, or have attempted to maintain a positive outlook um, when bad things happen that were out of my control and when I couldn't have the healthy body or the pretty body or you know whatever, that, the pretty relationship. Um, I maintained the sense of, of wellness, and you can too if you work for it and if you try hard enough. So I think it's kind of glossing over a lot of cultural issues that we have about access, about healthcare, about which bodies are important and which bodies aren't, um, what healthcare is worth taking care of and what can be pushed till next year kind of thing. Um, and it's about agency. Uh, Danielle, when you we're talking, I just wrote down, which I think is probably obvious to a lot of us, but um, this trend just continues to indicate that wellness is a purchasable commodity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we won't end it on is. that note. <laughs> um, well, and one of the things that's really brought up in a very um, wry way in Road to Wellness um, is the you know, the level of uh, snake oil salesmen and the concept of profiting off this concept of, uh, of wellness and the, the ability to purchase wellness and, you know, by extension, happiness. Um, and I think also one of the things that I really like to give a plug for fiction is that often, um, especially when we're talking about something that has a scientific basis, sometimes it's hard to bring in those, those well, what if, in, um, those what if happenings about around that subject, and I think fiction does that really well. Danielle, another thing you mentioned was um, talking about how some of those books um, offer, you can do this, you can do that. Um, so for all of you, would you say any of your books are a how-to wellness book, and um, maybe not in the traditional sense, but in what way? Um, I, I can start. Um, so I do think um, one of, I guess I'll go with taking turns. So um, as I said before, taking turns is about a nurse who was in an HIV AIDS unit at the turn of, uh, around the late 1980s, early 1990s, and she does depict, she draws, you know, this experience as a nurse dealing with patients that are dying, but she also describes what it was like learning to work with these patients, learning how to have empathy, learning how to have compassion, learning how to, um, to work with people that you have, that you know nothing about the illness and you'll never experience it. I think like, as I said, um, I wor I got pulled in and hired as a maternal depression therapist. Um, I'm not, I'm, won't have to do that. I won't, I'm not ever going to have a baby. So, <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, that as a how-to, it was so interesting reading her book, thinking like, okay, like, this is so much of like what I had to do in my own way to learn. Like, I mean, just I just continually ask questions and I obviously remind the patients I'm working with. I was like, you're going to have to explain that to me because I don't I don't know what that means. Um, but it is a how-to and like what it's like becoming a practitioner in a field that you don't know. Some people become practitioners in fields that, you know, they know very well because they experienced it at one point and others we don't. And I like how she describes, like, she's like, I didn't, I didn't know that by 1990, 270,000 people had died of AIDS. Um, I mean, that's a huge number. And she said, I should have known that. I'm in Chicago. Um, people were dying of AIDS every day. But she's like, I didn't know that. And so I even my, so it is like a how-to, how to become a clinical practitioner. <laughs> and you do start to pay attention to things. Like, I, I look at the rates of, like, our, you know, infant mortality rates in Cleveland, which are, which are terrible, which I would not have paid attention to had I not been working with mothers that are on Medicaid, you know, and going to their houses and doing psychotherapy with them, you know, for a, a um, Medicaid-funded agency. So, I mean, it is very much like a how to become a practitioner. And it's fascinating from my standpoint, hopefully to people that are not practitioners as well. <laughs> 
Mine are, I wouldn't say they're not how-to narratives in that this is not a prescriptivist how to get through an eating disorder, how to get through um, an an incurable disease or or things like that, but more so this is how I made it and maybe this will help you too. Um, So it's less prescriptivist and more um, experiential, kind of like what we were talking about before. Take it or leave it, this is me, vice, um, mistakes, it's very raw and real, even though it's still mediated through um, editing and and also the, the narrative arc that at least um, memoir and uh, graphic narrative have. Um, so I... I shy away from the how-to kind of thing because I think of like a listicle and like Goop or or Blake Lively's, what was it, Preserve. <laughs> you know, something that you, you say in this husky voice and you just picture all the avocados and in the greenery you have your urban gardens and the whitewashed walls and you ride a bicycle everywhere and it's not terrible because it's never raining. And of course your dog doesn't jump out of the front basket because that would never happen in a goop lifestyle. That just doesn't happen here. Those things don't exist. They're edited out. Um, so these don't edit uh, some of the, the nastier parts of life out. Um, and so I guess their, their prescriptivist thing is just to get through it. And the best way to, that I found to get through it was, through all of these, was going through the process. And whether it's processing um, an, an illness that nobody knows what it is, like with Valentino's book, um, or taking turns, how do you process that your patients are constantly dying? Um, and, and with this something that's so horrific and then confined um, kind of governmentally to a community too um, and not funded and, and things like that. What, how do you do this? I, I want to just add about it, things not being like uh, edited or like the goop lifestyle. Um, yeah. Just you reminded me of just a silly moment I had last week. Um, I was walking down through campus, and I teach at Kent, and I'm walking through campus, and I have my headphones in my ears, and I'm listening to RuPaul, and I'm having my, dra- I'm having my, my drag queen fantasy, and everything's going very well, and I'm swinging my arm, and my phone flies out of my hand, and I was like, see, that I don't live in a movie, and I don't live in goop, because if I, if I lived in the goop world, then I wouldn't be throwing my phone at students that could potentially be my own students. You, so it, it, it would was, land at the feet of a gorgeous man yes, who would that, pick it up. Who <laughs> who I'm then embarrassed by. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell that this, this panel is not sponsored by Goop. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify. Um, looks uh, like we have a first question. Yay. Um, so I know this is a best book series, but I want to ask, and Danielle, you've alluded to authors using different mediums besides print. Um, and I think, I feel that's important to appeal to different audiences that might not want to read a 300 um, page piece. How do you see authors reaching out in different mediums that might display better pictures or, or more accurate pictures of what it is uh, to live health and wellness. Something that I'm kind of obsessed with uh, is actually the vlogging community on YouTube. And so these are people who document their their lives, their experiences. Some of them are involved in lifestyle, health, wellness, beauty, and then others are just going at, at their, their, around their daily lives. Um, from the point of being a teenager in their parents' houses to having multi-million dollar businesses um, and seeing that, that kind of range and acknowledging what's happening, what's not happening, um, letting people in and actually stopping and talking with people who watch their videos. Um, I'm thinking of like Alfie Days in the UK, who's a ma- massive, a pointless blog. Um, <laughs> And he is a massive YouTuber and everybody watches him and he goes into town and he stops and talks to people who've bought his books or who watch him every day and say, oh, I'd love to be in the vlog. And so it's getting more interactive in different areas. So it's not just the the print form, but there's digital forms. There's hybridized forms. Um, So there's there's a lot of opportunity with technology to be even more engaging in in memoir and let people in to more of their lives, even though it's still curated. It's still maybe a a 20-minute vlog of an entire day, or it could be an hour long, but it's still only an hour clip. Well, and I find that um, 
I find those explorations in you know lots of the multimedia platforms that are out there also very interesting because um, it's certainly a more immediate rough draft, if you will. You know, um, uh, one of the things that uh, you know happens in the production of all. Uh, works, regardless of whether they're printed books or any kind of piece of art, is that uh, is the editing process and the refining of the stories. And a lot of times, there's a lot of gold in those very immediate moments and those very unscripted moments. And um, I would just add, I mean, all of my books are comics that are printed. But I mean, web comics are a great place to go. Yep. There's a lot of really wonderful web comics. They're like three panels long and just continuous that do depict life with, um, I cannot remember, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. There's a great one about a, a, young, a young woman that lives with depression and she depicts it so well. And I'm, I can't, I can see the comic. She wears like pink and she has like a yellow hat and I cannot remember off the top of my head. Yellow hair? Is it Ali Broch, Hyperbole and a Half? No. no. Is it, wait, wait, say it again. Ali Broch, Hyperbole and a Half. Hyperbole and a Half. Yeah, 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 yeah. it is. Yeah. With the Hyperbole and a Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, Hyperbole and a Half is a great like webcomic, but there's like tons of these. <laughs> so like um there are like webcomics too. I I I have a particular love for print and print comics. Um but webcomics are wonderful too. Yeah. Well, I have a longer attention span than that, but just <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um we are wrapping up on time. So, um I want to invite all of you to just, again, you may tell everyone what titles you brought with you. Um, and we will have all of these books and comics um, published on our blog at cityclub.org. Mm -hmm. So, Cal, starting with you. Sure. T.C. Boyle's Road to Wellness. Edward Rosenfeld's uh, yes, Edward Rosenfeld's The Book of Highs, 20, 255 Ways to Alter Your Consciousness Without Drugs, and A.J. AJ, uh, AJ Jacobs' Drop Dead Healthy. All right, I brought um, Mishadra by Isman Omar Atta. This, this, all, my, all the titles will be online, so it'll be easier for you to get their names there. Um, Hospital Suite by John Porcellino. Um, Taking Turns by M.K. Sherwick, and Nothing Lasts Forever by Sina Grace. And just a, just a little plug, uh, there is going to be an interactive Prezi linked to the City Club website where you can see not only the book covers, but also the authors. So if you don't remember or you can't see through, through the lights here, um, they're still all going to be there. And also a lot of really great indie bookstores um, that are local where you could purchase these titles or have them order them for you. And many have cats you can pet, which is a perk <laughs> for me. Uh, and they're dog friendly yeah, yeah. and things like that. Um, so... Just, just saying, uh, or your local library. Um, so I brought Hunger by Roxane Gay, The Point of Vanishing by Howard Axelrod, The Bright Hour by Nina Riggs, and then Ross Trask, Kent, we talk about something more pleasant. All right, well, thank you to our panelists. Thank you, Cal. Thank you, Valentino. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you to the Happy Dog, as always, for having us. And thank you to all of you, whether you're here in person or you're watching via live stream. Uh, we thank you from the City Club of Cleveland. And again, check us out at cityclub.org for all of our upcoming forums. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night, and this forum is adjourned. <laughs>